0: You're listening to another great show from the Nod Network. Find more great content at nerdod.com. This is Whiskey and Words. I'm David Olson, and today I'm joined by author Simeon Smith.
1: Hello, Dave. Nice to be here.
0: I'm glad to hear Simeon. So, Simeon is a an author who's written short stories. He's writing a novel currently, which is very exciting. That's true. He's won an award in amongst our... <laughs> that, that,
1: that is also true. Yeah,
0: in amongst our, our writing group, and you won a wonderful prize, I believe. It's
1: uh, a beautiful typewriter from... 1912, I think it very is. Nice. Yeah. It's a worthy prize. It is. Um,
0: and today, as is our standard, we're joined by a little dram. And this is uh, a bottle of the old particular. This is a, a single malt tobermori I'm very excited about this. Year Tobermory, no yes. less. Which was a, a wedding gift from a very good friend of mine, Paul and Gabby. Uh, Thank you, and Paul it is and Gabby. Deliciously straw colored. And mm-hmm. wonderful. So we will come to that. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, because I'll be here all morning with it. Um, so welcome to me. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> welcome to me. You, you. Um, you are uh, an author of many talents. You have written fantasy things. You have written very serious things. You have written all, all uh, from what I've heard of yours, quite a wealth of of stuff. Do you have a a preferred genre?
1: When I read, yes. Um, I, I read lots. I like reading big, sweeping, epic fantasy or science fiction. Uh, you kind of typical geeky stuff, really. Um, I read Lord of the Rings when I was about nine years old, and my mum helped me through some of the more weird bits. But um, from that point on, I was hooked on the the, the kind of imaginative tales in other worlds, and, um, you know, my, I'm sure if you were ever to speak to my parents, I'd tell you that they would often try and get me to come for dinner and I'd be stuck in a book, um, and, you know, they'd have to kind of more or less walk into my room and yank me out of it to get me to come down. Um, uh, and, yeah, so ever since then I've just been uh, fascinated by by that. Um, as for writing, um, well, for me it's, it's a bit strange. I was, I was a bit put off by how good some of these people were at creating worlds and... and it's a bit intimidating when I I kind of read uh, my favorite author is a chap called Stephen Erickson. He's a Canadian author and he's written a, a series that's um uh, I guess the best way to describe it is monstrous. It's absolutely huge. And um, he's created such a world that I, I look at it and go, I, I don't think I could do that. Mm. So when I write, I like to kind of let my imagination run away with me a bit, but I don't think I have the, skill perhaps, or even maybe just the patience to be that kind of vast. And uh, the world-building element is uh, something that I'm not sure is within my scope. So I like writing fantasy, but I like just challenging myself to, to write anything. Uh, similarly, I'm not sure I could write one of those really clever mystery novels that keeps the reader guessing right till the end. Um, so I, I like adding a bit of reality into it, mm. but I don't mind if the story's a bit weird or surreal or has fantastical elements to it.
0: Yeah. Um, no. I mean, I'm the same. I, I, I've said it before. I'm a lazy writer. Like, I, yeah. I, I find it very <laughs> difficult to do the planning. I was trying not to, to use that. the word lazy. <laughs> no, I, I think I was. Um, uh, had a, a previous guest, uh, a chap named Jamie Ryder, and we spoke about his sort of fantasy world that he was building. Uh, and I just i love the idea of of building something of yes. that thing but let say i'm i'm very much the same uh, intimidated by authors like uh, tolkien one yeah. of my one of my favorites Roger is um who's great at these sort of building city the of Amber series, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just my favorite series of books uh, and it's it's a world which you read it and you go oh wow okay some'm like so many fantasy stories or you know, even science fiction although that's based more in in science and therefore you can kind of get an idea of where it comes from science, in, so, science in yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but with fantasy you know it's literally plucked from someone's head and suddenly yes. just saying you know tolkien invented a whole language for lord of the Rings, I know. which is I, just
1: i don't nuts. have the time for no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's the question is there a place in fantasy writing for you know a somewhat more casual approach to it you know can you write fantasy and not devote a thousand pages to it you know can you write a 300 page pulp fantasy novel And it still be good. That's I think that's the challenge, isn't it?
1: Well, um, that question reminds me of um, uh, a story I heard about an author called Jim Butcher. Um, He's created a um, a series called the the Dresden novels, um, Uh, which is about um, uh, a private detective in Chicago who is also a wizard. Some some people kind of say it's like the grown up Harry Potter books. um, (laughs) In in that um, you know. Uh, magic and the real world exist side by side and most people don't know about it but there's a few who do and there's fairies and monsters and all sorts of things and and you know the, the main character is also called Harry which is another yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that's kind of irrelevant really but um, but he, he was once challenged by someone to create a, a fantasy series based on cliche and uh, make it good and out of that he created a six series um, uh, novels called The Codex Illyra, or Illyra Codex, perhaps? And basically, the two clichés were Pokemon and the Lost Roman Legion. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds weird, but it's actually really good, and it's set in this world, and he basically said, right, challenge accepted, and he wrote it, and it's pretty good. Wow. It is quite pulpy, it's not like, um, you know, high literature by any stretch of the imagination, but to say that he kind of did it based on a bit of a challenge, I think there is place for it. Mm. I'm not sure of, I I can't think of any other good ones that are kind of less than, you know, a few thousand pages Uh, long. It's Um, it's always a I that people
0: get put off of fantasy for that very reason, because they're used to seeing books that are huge, thick tones.
1: The ones that I read are are pretty massive, Um, you know, each with well over a 100,000 words in, in every novel, and you know, you're talking 10 novels each kind of thing. I mean, you look at what's happened with... Uh, the Song of Ice and Fire, which is now, of course, better known as Game of Thrones on TV. Um, I mean, I, I think that that got away with him, to be honest. Oh, with yeah. George R. R. Martin, the author there. I think he um, it, it kind of lost his way because yeah. it it became too big for him, too too much of an unwieldy beast, and and that's why it's taking him five plus years in between each each novel. So, yeah. um, I, I think you can do it, but I think you'd have to be a, an author that's good at that. Yeah. To do, I, I again, I don't, I don't think I could do that. Maybe one day. Maybe one well, day. Well. well, you know, I am award-winning as <laughs> So Maybe well,
0: it's me. Before we get into the first piece, let's have a little drink. Oh yes. Because this is
1: this is the main reason I'm here.
0: <laughs> it is a wonderful little one here. Just a small one to begin with.
1: I do like a good drum. Chin-chin. Oh my. Mm. Well, I don't want to talk about writing anymore. That's, <laughs> that's phenomenal.
0: What was um yeah my when uh, Paul told me the story about this whiskey, he mentioned that he went into he was in a store uh, in Edinburgh, and they were looking at whiskeys for me because they knew that I was into it, uh, and he was talking to this guy at length about this particular bottle and what it, where it came from and its heritage and everything else and it this whole elaborate tale. So by that point, Paul was, was sold on it, and then he found the price tag.
1: <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah, that's the one I, thing that stops me from having yeah. a... a um, I often pop into the whiskey shop in the centre of Manchester, and I just chat with the guys there, and they're like, oh, great, someone who knows about whiskey, I'm going to make a sale here. Uh, I
0: think that the, the cool thing with this bottle is it's a, a Tobe Mori, and I was with a, visiting Edinburgh, I was there with, uh, with my wife, and we were with a, a friend's father, a chap named Alan, uh, a wonderful chap. And he put on—he has a, a whiskey collection. He kind of, he kind of inspired me a little bit. And he had a bottle of Toba Mori. Yes. And I'd heard the stories about the Isle of Mull and where it's distilled and everything else. And he mentioned that they have a uh, the the used sort of uh, grain and 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 they when they empty the, the distilling pots at the end, they feed all of that to the cows on the island. Yeah. And so the cows are always a little bit drunk but also <laughs> I bet the milk it, tastes good. <laughs> it infuses the milk with an essence of the whiskey nice so they make a cheese uh, on the island with the milk from these cows and they they sell it there to go along with the whiskey apparently it pairs beautifully because it's very similar yeah and he told us a story while he poured me a small measure of it and then produced that cheese with crackers to snack on Living this wonderful tale. And then went, and by the way, here is the cheese. And nice. I was like, you are the most incredible gentleman.
1: So for the yeah. record, what is this man's address? <laughs> 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 no, yeah. that, I mean, this is really nice. It's got a lovely, crisp mm. initial taste and, and a, a beautiful rolling aftertaste that keeps giving at the back of your throat. Yeah, it's um, very fresh. And it's I
0: mean, it's, it's gonna... so, it such a, it's, it's an audio podcast, so I can't show anybody the colour, but it is so light. And you, I think you always assume that drinks that light aren't going to have that kind of body to them, but it no. really
1: does. Um, the only other one I can think of that's perhaps this light <laughs> is the um, is, is the Ocantotion, mm. which I've probably pronounced very wrongly. But, um, yes. but again, that's got a really lovely, strong flavour to it, so yeah. I'll keep an eye out for, for more of this. Yeah. Um, incidentally, while we're on writing and whiskey, uh, one of my favourite authors is a science fiction author Ian M. Banks, mm-hmm. Um He's written a book about whiskey called Raw Spirit. And oh, okay. it's it's brilliant because it's just him traveling around Scotland going to different whiskey distilleries that his publishing company paid for. So, <laughs> if <without> I'm <laughs> to ever become a famous author, that is... Uh, Living the dream.
0: My aim, yes. Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. So, um... So you've got two things to read for us today. I do. You've got two separate pieces. Uh, I mentioned the novel that you're working on as well. I do want to have a chat about that as well. We will definitely talk is, about that, yeah. That is a, a, a wonderful tale that you're telling, <laughs> what I've heard so far. It's
1: quite a, a beast at the moment. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, but with, just to get into it now, because they are quite different pieces, I'm wondering if you're all right. reading the first one for us now. Uh, perspectives.
1: Perspectives, yes. This is called Perspectives. Um, I think I won't give any more about it um, because... I feel like it it works better after, Um, so I won't give any context at the moment. I fidget, shifting from one foot to another restlessly. This is boring, I think, as the sun suddenly decides to come out, making me sweat inside the stab vest and the other protective equipment that they make me wear. I glance behind me and grimace at the ugly scene as CID officers and forensic technicians swarm all over it. I'm ready for lunch, I think, and my stomach gurgles its agreement with me. I pull out the official scene log and sign in the detective inspector who has just arrived in a brand new Audi A3 Quattro to take command of the situation. Sweet car, I think, as I ponder that maybe I would like to be a D.I. detective inspector one day. I argue with a member of public who wants to come through the blue and white police tape. I only live through there, she pleads somewhat grumpily. I explain what has happened and why she therefore has to walk an extra five minutes to get home. She scowls and stalks off muttering like I had planned this with the sole purpose of inconveniencing her and her alone and ruining her day. Other members of the public who live nearby are gathered a bit further down the street gawking in my direction, trying to catch a glimpse of the grisly scene beyond me. Some of them have brought their children and even some chairs outside as if it was a family fun day at the park. Silently, I judge them. I feel a buzz in my pocket and sneakily check my phone when the DI enters the building, deep in conversation with one of his officers. Sweet! My army is ready to attack, I think, as I read the Clash of Clans notification. A medic approaches me, bemoaning the fact that she got some gunk on her boots. Her colleagues mock her and we laugh about it, the medic included. I shift impatiently from foot to foot again. This is boring, I think. And all the while, mere feet behind me, the scattered brain tissue and skull fragments of the unknown man who had, just an hour previously, thrown himself from a 12-story window, lay splashed out like a ghastly art installation. I check my watch. Only a couple of hours until I finish, I think. Thank you for that. No problem.
0: Uh, When you first read that, it was quite a an eye opening thing because in that you kind of explore the uh sort of a mundane goings on around an otherwise extreme situation. Yes. So what was your goal with that to sort of emphasize the sort of that seriousness and the frivolity and how they the, the, the juxtaposition between the two of them, or was the intention simply to much acknowledge that even in tragic scenarios like that, there are ordinary people just living their lives?
1: Well is it a bit of a cop out to say both? I mean, <laughs> right. uh, the main the main reason I wrote that was um, because that, that it's a true story, um, and I think for me because it was such a nasty incident, I wanted to get some uh, um, thoughts down on paper as a, almost a therapeutic exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I, I remember when I read it in the group that we we attend together, I um, I kind of prefaced it with. I'm gonna read this, and you might judge me for it, but I want to share it um and and that for me was a bit of a cathartic exercise because um it was a horrific thing to have happened and and when I close my eyes sometimes I can still see this this dead man and it's and it it was part of my job at the time you know in uh, working for the police and and yeah i I think the main thing was to kind of justify like I'm stood there at this grisly suicide. Um, And there was literally kind of bits of brain and skull and everything everywhere. And it was, it was just horrible. And my thoughts were not with this poor man. They were just kind of wandering because I I had to stand there and sign people in and make sure no members of the public were gaining access because everything's got to be investigated and, and such like, and I was like, Oh, I'm bored. And that made me reflect on my own kind of perhaps morality ethics. I don't know. And, And I wanted to kind of say, well, yeah, I guess, guess as you say, it's, it's, um, life goes on for everyone else. And, um, and that's why I I put the part about the the woman who lived nearby trying to get through. And she was kind of a bit, um, uh, inconvenienced. And I was annoyed with her for thinking that and then i th- kind of thought well, how am i any different and yeah. so there's a there's a lot going it, there was a lot going on in, in my head when i wrote that it, it was it was a case of I, I wanted to show people kind of what we deal with because a lot of people don't quite know sometimes how weird and surreal a job can be because i saw um, the face of this man right and I, and my mind just went that's not real that's, you know, like it didn't look like a human anymore. Wow, okay. um, and I don't want to go into too much of, well, of the, the gruesome details, but and it was more like a kind of, I don't, I can't really describe it, but it yeah. was, it was like I was detached from it and it was just like, it wasn't human anymore. Right. Um. And, and I think that's a coping mechanism of the brain yeah. um, and it was quite a shocking sight. And for me, I just, um, I was quite glad of it. Um, but then I thought, well, am I an awful person? Am I horrible that uh, I, I don't feel more kind of disturbed? I didn't. It didn't make me want to retch. I mean, I mentioned in that piece I just read, you know, I was thinking about lunch, yeah. um, and um, I remember speaking to my mum about it, and she was like, "Oh, I hope you're not desensitised to violence," and and I don't think I am because I, you know, I still feel um, for the family of this man. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he had any because at the time we didn't know who it was. I think they later found out who he was and yeah. um, but i didn't know him i didn't and um, never had any dealings with him through the job and i didn't know why he'd chosen to end his life like that um
0: so you're right though. it's coping isn't it yeah anybody and, who works in a job where you deal with extreme circumstances you either take all of those on and it destroys you yeah or you find a way to deflect that so you exactly don't.
1: yeah um and uh I think you find that people who work in emergency services or the army often develop quite a quite a dark sense of humor really yeah. and, and and I see that as actually quite a good thing and I say well if you didn't laugh you'd cry yeah. uh, and if you start getting depressed and built up inside about it you might turn to drink you might turn to anything else to yeah. try and cope and, and and there are some really unhealthy routes out of that and for me I, I wrote about it I shared it and um no one kind of looked at me in disgust and you <laughs> know, how could you you evil person and, <laughs> uh, whether they're silently thinking that I don't know, but um <laughs> you know i it felt good to write it and um um <laughs> I think it helped me yeah. so uh, and if it
0: did that's the important thing right yeah
1: yeah and and I don't feel like my my life has been adversely infected uh, affected by this um this incident and, um, I, you know, I move on and I've got a good group around me for when things do get tough like that. So I, I don't feel like it's a, a horrendous thing. But I, no. I'm glad I wrote it because it, it just helped me sort my head out of it. It you deal with it, isn't it? That's yeah, whole, you get like a million yeah. and one thoughts in a situation like this. and um, No, I, I like that you
0: addressed it in a very mundane, everyday way. It was just, this is what you were thinking at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, you mentioned, was you working with the police? So that's it's quite a serious day job to have. It can you be, know? A do you apart from this incident which of course is more cathartic than anything else but do you do you find you can draw inspiration from it when you write or or do you think that to the page is more of a way of escaping the seriousness of that
1: um yeah i I think um i think it is it's a form of escapism for me really um i like um as i've mentioned earlier i i I read fantasy and and that for me is quite an escapist thing I have been, you know, it's just made up nonsense, you know. But I like, you know, disappearing into another world almost. Um, and, and, you know, some of the guys in our group, they write quite real things and um, and for them, I, I imagine, um, is quite a, you know, for them that's a way of sorting their own thoughts and feelings out in their life and, and that's great. But for me, I like kind of the more bizarre, otherworldly aspect of things. Um, I imagine um, there's there's a lot going on in the police that I could draw inspiration from, but um, I'm just trying to think now. There's there's not much that I've written that's kind of necessarily police-based or yeah. based on incidents that have happened to me, except for this, this one particular one. And, and um, you don't come across really extreme situations like that on a day-to-day basis, really. I mean, no. if you watch cop shows on TV, that's all they show. But the amount of hours they film where not much else is happening is quite um quite large compared to the amount that where they get some you know what we call sexy policing, you know, <laughs> booting doors in and, you know, scrapping with people and car chases and stuff, you know. Those are those those happen and they happen quite a lot and 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 this death um that I went to, I think it was probably only the third or fourth death that I've been to in in the police and so it's not like it's it's every day and that's why I think for that one because it was a bit more extreme that's why I did it but day-to-day policing no I don't, I wouldn't say I draw inspiration from it I like writing something that's a bit far, far away, out yeah yeah. Um, yeah and and I've always had a big imagination as I've mentioned and I, I like kind of I mean I'm quite a silly person and um, a lot of the writing prompts we do in group, as you know, end up being quite funny or ridiculous, really. Um, and, and, and for me, again, maybe that's that's part of my coping mechanism. I don't yeah. know. Uh, my mum's told me that I've always been silly, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's just probably me.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and from that as well, the the next piece that you have to read, it is it's very, very different to the last one. It's very far and away from that. I can imagine it's not drawn from... Any of those experiences no, there? Not at all. Um, But it's one that I like very much. And if I'm right in thinking, this is the one that you won your typewriter with. This is, right?
1: is my entry to the typewriter competition. It's yes. You're your um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, a award winning piece. Yeah. People want much, autographs, on me, please get in touch. Um,
0: <laughs> so I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us now.
1: Absolutely. So this is the piece I entered. Um, the competition was you just had to include a typewriter somehow. Um, And and that was about the remit we were given, Uh, I think there was a word limit, five to ten thousand words. Uh, I won't be reading the full thing, you'll be very pleased to know. I called mine the blank page. Gladys Wainwright sat before her typewriter, her aching fingers trembling slightly as she paused them above the worn keys, hovering with a quiver as she decided what she wanted to write. Eventually, with a sigh, she put them down on the sparse desk in front of her. It was no good. The arthritis had become too much for her and besides she felt hollow like she had nothing left in her to pour out onto the page through this beautiful machine. The blank page stared at her balefully accusing her. She defiantly glared back at it as if by winning this standoff the words would somehow come onto the page. The words she knew that were in her, somewhere. She just needed to get the words out there and onto this blank page. She knew that if she could get one more story onto this blank page her problems would be temporarily abated and her growing sense of being gone and nearly forgotten would be vanquished somehow the blank page got blanker and still her brain stubbornly refused to give her the words that were apparently locked up tightly inside wistfully she thought back to her younger days using this typewriter she had caused her adoring readers to laugh and cry gasp with shock and scream with horror For decades, she had written stories that had entertained thousands and caused her to rise to the top of society. Her romances, the much-loved Tom Rowe stories, had seen women by the hundreds flock to bookstores to eagerly grab the latest instalment. Her action and adventure novels, written under the nom de guerre, uh, Grant Rockman, for what man would buy an adventure novel with a name Gladys on the front, Uh, they usually featured the dashing protagonist Kit... Jenkins, had sold well in over fifty different countries. She had even, at one point, written a successful series of children's books about two best friends, Kathy Plant and Anna Simpson, who got into all sorts of mischief together, much to the chagrin of the adults. Gladys smiled fondly. Those stories had been a favourite to write. She had received many letters of adulation from young fans expressing how much they loved Kathy and Anna so long ago now. She still had those letters somewhere. At least that is what her stiff and pompous lawyer Mr. S. Carr told her. He popped in once a month, usually to tell her that she was running out of money and the home she lived in now was expensive to keep. And had she thought about downsizing and did she want to sell any more of her jewels? Or indeed the typewriter? He knew some collectors in London who would be willing to pay the price for the typewriter of a legendary Gladys Wainwright. Nonsense, really. She had bought the house from the sales of her first Tom Rowe novel back in 1932. It was a lovely house, and she was obstinately hanging on to it, as if selling it would be selling a piece of who she was. She didn't have much left to her name, and this house, the backdrop to the inspiration of so many of her stories, was one of her final objects of pride. That, and a typewriter, of course, currently still hosting the accursed blank page. "'Come on, Gladys,' she muttered to herself, rubbing her creaky fingers together, "'as if by warming them up they would spring into life "'and skillfully pour out a fantastic story onto the page. "'That was, after all, how it had used to be. "'She would take a walk in the garden, or, before the house, into a local park. "'She would let her mind wander, and ideas would come to her. "'She would rush back inside, her face set in joyous determination, and start typing. "'Once she had the ideas, the words came naturally.' The blank pages didn't last long enough to look at her in any manner, except one of excited expectancy. They were heady days. Once her first Tom Rowe novel took off and the flood of contracts started arriving, it seemed like she'd been on top of the world forever. There was hardly a day when she wasn't receiving an invitation to some event or other. She even went across the sea to New York, twice. She'd met with the King of England back when there was a king and he had expressed a secret admiration for her romance novels. The constant flash of a photographer's bulb became part of a soundtrack to her life, and it was deemed a great honour to have the renowned novelist Gladys Wainwright at your social gathering. There was, of course, a darker side to the high life. Gladys wrapped her blanket around her as her life's regrets started crossing her mind like some ghastly parade. She was so prolific that she barely had time for romance. Her first husband, Reginald Olsen, had left her for an American heiress, claiming that she wasn't giving him enough in their marriage. She barely noticed. Her second husband, Sir Aaron van der Beest, who she had loved dearly, went off to war when it broke out in 1939 and was killed in one of the earlier skirmishes. She went through a period of mourning and it was during this time when the ideas for the Kit Jenkins novels came to her. She chuckled slightly as she recalled her first newspaper reviews of her first such novel. Gladys Wainwright shows a darker side, proclaimed one, Kit Jenkins is a moodier, more violent and, dare we say it, more exciting version of Tom Rowe," stated another. She had been contemptuous of such things at the time, yet still kept all her reviews every time she released a new story. She must remember to ask Mr. S. Carr if he still had those reviews. She decided she would like to read them again. There had been other men, of course. She had been beautiful as well as talented and rich. And there were always suitors sniffing around. But writing two concurrent series of novels, and later on the children's books, meant that romance didn't appeal to her much. There were some fun times, true, and some truly scandalous evenings that would cause her to blush if she wasn't too in- old to be embarrassed by such things. But no one stuck, and eventually the suitors faded away. As did the ideas for new books. She began to realise that her characters, Tom Rowe and Kip Jenkins, had run their course. The publisher for her children's books decided not to publish any more either, and she could not bring herself to start on a new venture. It was as if she awoke one morning and her passion to write had gone. She realised with shock that she now had no family, no new stories and very few friends. She was left with lots of time on her hands. Her beloved yet it must be said ostentatious house, with all the trappings of what she once was contained within. And of course her typewriter, replete with stacks of blank pages. This train of thought was not pleasing to Gladys, nor was it helpful in her desire to write something more. Mr S. Carr, in his last visit, had taken some more furniture to sell at auction in order to keep a bit of food in her pantry and a bit of heat in her sitting room where she spent most of the time. She didn't want him to, of course, But as always, a straight-laced and grey-faced man laid out the options to her and she was left with not much choice in the matter. She hadn't sold the house or the typewriter yet, though. She decided that she needed to get up, walk about and clear her head a bit. Maybe make herself a nice cup of tea. That thought brightened her. There is nothing a nice cup of tea can't fix, she said, recalling her mother saying the same thing to her when she was a child. That, of course, was during the Great War, and the young Gladys Wainwright had thought that maybe the war would have been solved if the Prime Minister, the King of England and Kaiser Wilhelm had all sat down for a cup of tea together. She suggested this to her mother, who would laugh lightly and stroke to her hair. Oh, Gladys, she had said somewhat sadly, that might be the most sensible thing anyone has said about this accursed war. Thank
0: you. You drop a number of names in that story from the group where we met. The, yes. Uh, <laughs> along with that... Uh, the protagonist in your novels got quite a cool name. Uh, so, how important do you think it is for character names uh, in the creation of their stories? Do you think that it helps them? Does it develop them in your head more having a good name, or are there nothing more Definitely. than just
1: tags? Definitely, I I enjoy thinking of names, um, yeah. and I well, in this one, basically, it was it again. It was just a bit of laziness. So, all the names in that story except the main. Character Gladys Wainwright, they're all kind of uh, slight variations of the names of the people that we both know, Uh, including yourself. There's a Mr. Reginald Olsen in there. Um, It's a good name. Um, And actually, I love that that name so much that he is now a character in my main novel, which I'm writing, which we're going to talk about in a bit. But um, yeah, I like having a good name because when they've got a name that you like, it makes them feel more real to you. Mm Um, and I think that, um, if they don't feel real, then what's the point of writing them? Uh, because if you don't think that they're real, uh, then you read as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, that, and that's, that's basically it, so, again, it, it was a bit of laziness. It meant that uh, I just <laughs> didn't have to, um, uh, although I think when I read that part out before we handed the stories in, um, I claimed it was an homage to my friends, uh, <laughs> But it was more just along the lines that it meant that I didn't have to actually think about names. Yeah. <laughs> the only one I thought about was Gladys Wainwright, which I, I only really thought of because um uh I wanted this this old lady to have an old lady's name but also quite a classy name. Yeah. And Something classical and Um you know, Gladys is quite you know, it's it's one that if you if you heard you'd think that's probably an older lady. Um and also um, Gladys Wainwright has quite a nice ring to it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, did kind of steal names, but also, um, I'm, I, I wanted them to be kind of more real and, uh, that's how it happened. So, um, I, I just slightly changed people's names, <laughs> um, to avoid being sued or something like that. Yes. No, um, I, uh, yeah, n- names are important to me. Um, and in my novel, I've been quite careful about choosing a name, um, including, uh, well, we'll talk about that later, but basically there are there are names from different eras in British history, so I've kind of uh, you know, done about five minutes research on Google, just, you know, uh, <laughs> Roman, best, Roman male names are, you know. Where the best research happens. Well, yes, yeah. yeah.
0: But this story in particular, I, I like there's a, a sense of kind of beautiful tragedy to it, because you've got this character mm. who's been so caught up in her work over the years that she's kind of missed the chance to actually live the life that her success has afforded to her. So, where, yeah, but, where did the story, where did the idea for this come from? And did you sort of draw upon anyone or anything in particular?
1: No, not at all. No? Um, when they announced the, the competition and they said a uh, the typewriter's involved, um, I believe we named it Fans of the Ding, the competition, the name, because so. we all like the ding at the end of a line. Um, my first thought was well, who would use a typewriter? And after that, I thought, well, older people probably, you know, who have been used to using one and don't like these newfangled computer things. And, and that's where it, it drew from. Um, so I thought, well, how, an old lady, why does she have a typewriter? Um, you know, why is this particular, um, particularly sentimental to her? Um, and that's where it kind of formed from, was this old woman who perhaps the typewriter meant a lot to her. Um, perhaps it was something that she knew was gonna have to kind of be gone from her life and that was a painful thought to her and the way I write is I I sit down and I just start typing and and then hope that ideas come to me yeah Yeah. basically I'm not very good with the whole writing a plan Um, I started doing that once when I um, initially had the idea for my novel and I got bored very quickly. Um, and when I decided to actually sit down and start writing it, suddenly ideas came to me and I quickly opened another document up on my computer and started typing ideas for later in the story. And that's how I've been doing it. And this is similar. I just I just thought of this old, old lady who had a strong sentimental attachment to her typewriter and started writing. And then I thought, well, hang on, she's probably a novelist. Now, if she wrote her novels on a typewriter, then it's probably a bit... She's probably um, a bit older, Um, and in that case, she lived through two wars um, and and that would have had an an impact on her. Um, And in in that case, we're probably looking at this being set sometime in the 70s. It's not that important, but um, I imagine the 70s was probably when things started becoming a lot more computerised. And again, I didn't do too much research on that because it, it didn't mean too much, but the world was changing very rapidly at the time. And she was still stuck in her glory days. No, it's, it's good um, the way you do
0: it, because you've got this character, who you reference the wars, so you know that she's older, but it doesn't actually matter how old she is in the story or what year it's set in, because no. she's going through the same things anyway, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of had a, it made me think of Harper Lee in a right. kind of what she could have been kind of sense, because of course she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird yes. and then apparently did nothing for... However, many years until recently, and even then, there's some controversy with that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that idea of what if, you know, that story had been as successful as it was, and then she had gone on to write more, that's where I kind of
1: paired up. Um, I'm going to be honest, this might be a shocking thing, but I've never read To Kill a Monkey mm-hmm. um, and th- there was no inspiration from that in this story. It, it was, in a sense, it was just, it was all from my own thoughts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of um
0: no, I mean more the the um, the story of the character mirroring her real life or what her life could have been.
1: Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, no. I I I can definitely see that. Yeah. And and um, I, I think because when I do writing prompts in group, they're often very silly. Mm. Um, I wanted to write something a bit more, um, more well, sad, really, a bit yeah. more serious, a bit more. Um, you know, I wanted people to be a bit touched by this this woman, like she's had a good life, you know, not not necessarily had the most, um, you know, glorious life in in many of her ways, and, and perhaps her reflecting on her two husbands and other lovers that have come along and been and gone, you know, m- maybe she feels regret that she didn't put more into her relationships instead of her, her writing, and especially now that there's no more writing to come, and, um, and, and if you read further on in the story, there is a bit more of that, and um, she just has these two or three people that she sees regularly and she doesn't really like them. Yeah. Um, and uh, when you meet this lawyer, Mr. S. Carr, um, he's, you know, he's not a horrible person but he's just very... Cold, I guess? Yeah. He's, he's not very empathetic to her and he just, he's got a job to do. Yeah. And um, to him... Well, selling everything and moving to a smaller place—well, it makes economic sense. So why are you not doing this, you yeah. foolish? But she's the emotional side. She's, yeah. you know. Well, that—I mean, what you read there—that was a couple thousand words, wasn't it?
0: What kind of length is the total story?
1: Uh, I think it, it ended up being about six and a half. Oh, wow. um, to, I can't remember to be honest. Because um,
0: the weird thing is, I mean, knowing that it's a longer story, I feel that that works quite nicely as a self-contained story the way you've read it. But knowing that there is potentially three or four times as much of that. You know, yeah. building that up is quite nice to know, I think.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, uh, that's nothing to do with the fact that there was a um, a word limit on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was, it was more because I wanted, uh, I had an idea for the end. As soon as this kind of idea came to me, I had an idea of how I wanted it to end. And I wanted to see how it got there Um and so there's a lot more kind of reflection on her past, um, throughout it, mixed with these people that she sees on a regular basis, um, and the decision she has to make about, you know, should she sell this house and a typewriter? Um, and it's, you know, it, um, it's, it's quite a bittersweet story, really. Um, and that was one of the, the points of reflection that I was given yeah. when they said, oh, you know, you've won this competition, that they really liked the characterization of this woman and, and it, it drew you in and and made you feel for her. Um, I I kind of don't want to spoil the ending, but you know oh, it's, yeah. it's on the internet. Um, writers MCR, I believe, is a website. That uh, it's um, yeah, I I really enjoyed writing it because it's basically because it's not something I'd ever pick up and read myself. Yeah. I you know if I saw oh this is about an old lady who used to be an author and it's about her reflection on you know, her life and her loves and the people that she now has to deal with and she doesn't want to deal with because they're trying to force her into this strange, new, scary world that she doesn't feel any part of, I'd go, "Mm, nah, you know. Throw in a dude with a flaming sword or a dragon or something, (laughs) or a spaceship, you know. (laughs) Well, I think it's, it's
0: interesting you mentioned that about sort of the things that you enjoy and the things that you write because of that and how that works. What I wanted to ask you is, you know, I know that you're a practicing Christian. Yes. And I wondered that with your your faith compared to also what you write and what you read, are there any uh, genres or topics that you particularly enjoy or ones that you particularly avoid because you don't feel that they reconcile with your faith in the right way?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question because obviously when Harry Potter came out, there was quite a lot of um, resistance from... I mean perhaps more in America than than here Um, but what what you call the religious kind of groups and stuff Um, and I read fantasy, I read stuff about you know, people using magic and and in some of these stories they have demons and monsters and who knows what else and and I know a lot of people would say well, you know, should you be reading that because, you know, in the Bible it talks about uh, demonic this, that and the other and, and witchcraft is seen as a as a sin um, and it's, it's frowned upon and such like, and so I can understand where they're coming from. Um, to me, none of it, well, not, the stuff that I write, it doesn't kind of condone it in the sense of saying this is the way that everything has to be. A lot of it's just like, yeah, it's fiction. Yeah. And, and that's how I've always seen it. It's, it's a story, it's a bit of escapism, and I like the way it makes my imagination sore, <laughs> if you like. It. Um, I would, I would say I'd probably be... Uh, dubious about certain things. I, I don't read, um, for example, like highly charged erotica, um, <laughs> because uh, um, I believe really in a, you know, in a sexual purity. There's, there's a lot about that that yeah. um, is quite central to what I believe. And um, aside from the fact that most of that's really terribly written. Well, you know, that's it's, also true. Fifty you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shades of Grey is trash from, you know, the very small snippet that I, I read. Um, Sadly, well-selling trash. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe I should start writing that and just become famous, you yeah, know, and yeah. become rich. or um, to the top. Well, yeah, and then I can afford all more of this whiskey. But, um, you know, it, that I would just kind of say that I take it on a case-by-case basis, really. I mean, um, I, I don't personally have any kind of um, thoughts on, oh, well, I should avoid this particular style of books or, you know, there might be authors that I might go, well actually, I don't, so it doesn't feel right to me in that. And I, I would avoid them, but generally I, I, I read because it's a pleasurable thing. I don't read any, if, if I start reading a book and it's, I'm not enjoying it, I'll just put it down. I've got no, yeah. got, um, but that's more of just a taste thing rather than a, a faith thing. Um, you know, and, and I've had this discussion with people before, and I go, it, I mean, I, I, for example, I listen to heavy metal as well, yeah. And people go, well, should you be listening to stuff that's full of anger and hate? And you know, some of the this, some of the particular bands and stuff are all like, oh, Hail Satan, and I avoid those bands. Um, and again, it's a case by case basis. I, yeah. I just sometimes I think, well, I like to enjoy what I enjoy, and if something feels wrong to me, I'll I'll put it to one side and avoid it. Uh, well, there's a certain I, morale at yeah, isn't it? So. I, I mean, when I write, um, especially when I write a bit more seriously, I mean, the writing prompts we do in Group Raw is just a bit silly and a bit fun, but um, the novel I'm writing now, um, I'm trying not to... Um, the, the, the guy that is the main character, he's quite an immoral person, but I'm trying to make it written in a way that I, I'm not saying I condone this behaviour. Yeah. You know, and um, I always like to put a bit of hope in my stuff because I believe that there's hope for everyone. I believe in um the power of redemption and, and i wouldn't want to write something that's so bleak that people go oh, wow well, this guy doesn't believe that there's any kind of restoration or redemption yeah. and, and, and that's kind of where i go with it and a- again i wouldn't you know i wouldn't put in a steamy sex scene and i'm, I'm not going to shy away from it because it happens and i, I think um people who kind of go oh, Children and or you know you shouldn't be having anything to do with it. They're kind of a bit delusional in some ways, you know. And yeah, I, I think that you can write it in a way that's not kind of going, woo-hoo, you know. Uh, yeah. Let's
0: let's all. Um, yeah, it's, it's, whether, it's whether you are you are celebrating it or whether you are simply including it. There's a yeah. very different thing, isn't well, it?
1: Okay. And, and and for an example, um th- there's um, a bit in in my novel where a, a woman's about to get raped. Now, I'm not saying rape is great. I'm obviously not saying that it's something that happens, yeah. and, and I think the way you go about writing it is very important. There's a sensitivity um,
0: to it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah,
1: and and um, and in the end, I made that scene. <clears throat> I've got to be careful how I word this, but I, it doesn't happen in the end, the rape, and because the man's the man's assaulting this woman, and the two guys who are kind of going past when it's happening, it's, it's part of an a, a, an attack on it a kind of Roman camp at the time, um, which is where you would expect such things to go on, yeah. you know, and, and it was a savage time. And the two men who were kind of trying to escape the Roman camp see it happening, and they actually stop to try and help this woman. Um, and I've added... <laughs> I've added a slight sense of comic relief in it, in right. that the main character who, who is firmly established by this point as being a bit of an idiot... He goes to try and save this woman despite not knowing how to fight and being an idiot. And he, he ends up tripping over, which inadvertently saves it because the guy stops what he's doing and goes, What's going on? And then his mate, who is a much more efficient soldier, manages to stop it and, and, and the woman runs away and, and that's the last of it. Okay. So um you know, obviously it's something that you've got to take seriously, um and have a sensitivity, as you said. And and that would be included for anything I think that I write. And yeah, and, and I wouldn't want people to think, oh, this guy thinks that rape's a joke. Or this guy is saying, you know, be as sexually promiscuous as you want. Yeah. Because that's not what I believe. Um, But I'm not going to shy away from anything that I want to include in the story because I think it will develop the characters or the plot or anything like that. And I know there are authors, especially fantasy authors, who go, well, this is a gritty world and rape here, rape there. Or, you know, let's throw as much sex in as we can because it's, you know... And I, I don't really agree with that. Um, yeah. Whether that's from a religious thing or just from the point of view that actually I think you're doing it to cause shock yeah. and and yeah, make yeah, yourself yeah. seem edgy, and and that's not anything to do with religion. That's just a bit like pathetic, yeah. <laughs> in yeah, my yeah, opinion. Yeah, you know, and it, yeah, you yeah. know, other people differ, and that's that's fine. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you mentioned there uh, about the novel a bit yes. more about it as well, and I, we talked before about names and what they come from and and what sort of what benefit they have to you, and I think that. The, the novel that you're working on is a fantastic title. Uh, it, well, yeah. Big fan of titles, as I've said before, uh, and also a great name. So, would you mind sharing the title of your novel with us?
1: Right. The novel is called The Perambulations of Mr. Jeremy Pentwhistle, Esquire. And it was the title that came to me kind of as the idea formed, and I thought, well, I've got to write this now. <laughs> it was almost like, well, yeah. you know, with such a good title, it deserves do that good, to be written. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely.
0: Um, I think that although although we're not sharing that story today, would you mind yeah. giving the readers a little synopsis, a little brief tagline for
1: it? Okay. Um, so it's about this chap, Jeremy Pentwistle. I've already mentioned he's a bit of an immoral fop. He lives in sometime in the middle of the 1800s um, in this kind of the heart of uh, England. He's from a very wealthy family. His father's a politician in London. Um, And he basically, he lives in the country estate by himself and fritters his family's money away, really, um, with wild parties and just living a kind of uh, excessive lifestyle. You know, he likes his alcohol and he likes creating drinks and his parties are kind of famous across the county. I've kind of set it somewhere around Oxfordshire, you know, so he lives in a nice town. Um, on the outskirts of this nice town. He's got loads of money and he's got no kind of morals or restrictions on him because his mother died when he was young and his father didn't care. So he kind of just lives the life that he wants to live without consequences because he's rich and uh, single. And then one day when he's trying to create this new uh, drink for the next party that he's having, um, he accidentally creates a drink that sends him back in time (laughs) yeah um so basically he he hiccups through time um and there's a i've kind of split the book up into parts where we've however many chapters in each part and in between each part there is um just a very short section called jeremy gets the hiccups um and so he kind of hiccups into different places so um uh, you just see a very brief period where he hiccups and he's in, you know, a Viking feasting hall and then he hiccups again, he's on a road and someone nearly runs him over with a horse and then he hiccups again and ends up in um this Roman legion. And he doesn't know how he got there, but because he's a bit of a stiff up lip English gentleman and, you know, and also kind of an unthinking, clumsy fool, he just kind of gets on with it without yeah. thinking too much about, he's like, oh, I'm here, how do I get back? You know, it doesn't occur to him that it's the drink that's done it. It doesn't yeah. occur to him. And so he ends up with this Roman legionary who is assigned to look after him. And then the story develops from there. And so the aim is that he's going to end up in a couple more times. Um, I've got the last line of the the book in my head. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to get there. Because, as I said earlier, I write and ideas come to me. I've got two documents on the go. One of them's the, the book itself and the other one's a... Um, notes page with people's names on and stuff, so don't use the same name twice. Reginald Olsen is yeah. now a, a character in it, and yeah, yeah, right. I did actually ask you for permission, because yeah. I kind of <laughs> nicked your name for it in the original um, thing, but um, he's, yeah, he, he's he's quite, a, I like writing him. Um, so I've I just quite enjoyed kind of being a bit silly with it, um, so... Um, I finished now the section where he's in the Roman times, and he's he's now currently on a pirate ship, <laughs> um, and it, I'm just enjoying writing it. Um,
0: and I think from what I've heard you read about it, I re from it rather, I really enjoy that element of the character where he doesn't really care where he is; he just kind of wants to get home. Yeah. And it's, I, I you know, you could have a whole book about his reaction to suddenly being in the midst of a Roman yeah. legion, but you don't, and he's just there, and he goes, okay. How do I deal with this now? And I like that about this character.
1: Well, one of the um, kind of commanders of the Roman Legion asks him, like, you know, are you, um, are you a messenger from the gods? And he goes, Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that's why they keep him alive, just in case he is. you just know. Um And 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 then uh, when he next hiccups, because they drink the drink again, but he takes two people with him. One of them's this um, this young kind of girl who is part of the followers' camp that kind of always used to attach themselves to an army when it moved around. Cause you know, they set up a bar and uh, you know, those prostitutes and stuff to serve the legion. And, and, uh, and so he meets this girl and she, co- she ends up with him. And so does this legionary who's been assigned to look after him. So now there's three of them who've jumped through. And, and this legionary is actually a very intelligent, educated man. He, he kind of acts as the scribe and interpreter for the, for the Roman legion <laughs> while they're in England. And, and he's like, I think we might have traveled through time. He's like, oh, don't be ridiculous. Even though it's quite obvious. <laughs> quite what, oddly, yeah, happened, yeah, um, So that's kind of where I'm up to now. Um, and there's kind of interspersing bits with, his, you know, his friends back at home. Um, and I'm just enjoying writing yeah. it. I mean, my my job's kind that's of taking thing. up a lot of time at the moment. but That's I, the best thing, isn't
0: it? If you can enjoy what you're writing... Yeah. It doesn't really matter what it is or what the end product is or where it goes. If you enjoy it, yeah. that's, that's the, the part that matters.
1: Yeah, I mean, as long as I get a multi-million pound film deal out of it, Obviously. that's all I'm looking for. Yeah, of
0: course. On that, the, the question I, I generally ask, which is, I've, I've heard you read shorter stories, I've heard you read little bits here, you work on this novel here, which is your preferred medium? What would you like the most to write?
1: That's a difficult question because I absolutely love... Um, When we meet in our writing group, doing the writing prompts, it's my favourite part of the evening, because there's a kind of a pressure uh, to kind of get this story in 15 minutes based on something you've only just seen, you know, two minutes previously. And to pour your imagination out and go, "Ah," you know, and then suddenly it's, you've got a story, or at least the beginnings of one. I love that, that's fantastic. But I generally read massive stories and... I'm just enjoying having a bit of space to kind of. I, I know that you, you, you know, your your books, if if it's your stories, if there's like 2,000 words in it, and that's a long one. Yep. Um, that's right. I, I mean, when I was home over Christmas, I wrote 2,000 words in about an hour and a half. Show um, off. Because yeah, <laughs> because the, the ideas were coming to me, and I just kind yeah. of did it. And and that for me is I I like that. And and also when I write, um, I tend to waffle. And obviously, when I start editing the book when it's finished, I'm going to have to kind of trim it a bit yeah um but I mean I'm enjoying kind of having a bit of space to explore things and room to grow yeah and you know I, I've written bits in the novel which I, I look at and go mm, no um, and I can delete them or alter them as necessary but it's it's fun um, yeah. having that so I think that's probably what I enjoy more because that's what I read and I don't think I could ever write one of these kind of you know, half a million, half a million word, you know, no, definitely epics. No. Um, because I feel like with the kind of patience and attention span I have, <laughs> I, I wouldn't actually ever finish it. So I'm kind of a, I've got a, a, an aim of where I want this book to go. And I do want to finish it. I'm actually really determined to finish it. I've started things before and then just kind of lost interest. But this one, it's quite constantly in my mind about where I want to take it and stuff. So we'll see how long it is at the end of it. But, um... I'm I'm enjoying kind of writing a novel because yeah. they, they you know there's the old cliche everyone's got a novel in them and, and I'm actually getting mine down on paper at the moment yeah. and and, and I, I I've just I'm having fun with it
0: and I am very much looking forward to reading it in its entirety because it is from what I have heard so far it is a lot of fun and I think yeah. that you, you just there are so many serious stories out there addressing social commentary and all the rest of it and those are necessary too oh, yeah. every once in a while you want to pick up a book and you want to have a good time with yeah it. So I, I mean, think your book is going to be that
1: if, if you want my social commentary add me on Facebook because I'm always posting stuff <laughs> about Trump and Brexit and all these other nonsense oh, things yeah. going on but um, you know I, I don't want to add that to my story I mean I like reading for the sake of enjoying yourself and you know a bit of escapism so that's what I want my book to be
0: and I hope it will be. I'm I hope so
1: too. I've got an aim, I've got, you know, my aim is to have something down in its entirety by the 1st of May this year. I can't remember where that date came from, but basically that in my head, that's when I want to have it finished by. So, uh-huh. better get typing.
0: Absolute best of luck with that. Thank you. I want to say a big thank you, Simeon, for being here today. Uh, I have
1: absolutely enjoyed it. It is my pleasure. Thank
0: you. I've very much enjoyed your stories. Uh, you can find Simeon on Twitter, uh twitter.com slash Simofthenorth. Sim of the North. Sim yes. of the North. So check him out. I'm sure he'll share his writings with you if you ask him nicely. Oh uh, absolutely. I also want to thank uh, Donald Lang's old particular 18 year Tobermory because it is. I am stealing that when you uh, were distracted. Nope, it is mine, thank you. (laughs) Um, But other than that, it's been a great time, thank you. Yes. Uh, And I hope everyone out there has enjoyed hearing the stories, and we will see you all again next time.